Okay. If you would take your copy of God's Word and turn to Luke 20 this morning, Luke chapter 20. And before, before we get to the message, I just want to say a few words, just take a few minutes and highlight a couple things, and then we'll get into the message, but we're going to be in Luke 20. But Dan has already mentioned it, but the Newmans, Jeff and Sherry Newman, and we as a church have agreed to support them, $100 a month going forward. What a blessing. And, you know, Baptist Mid-Missions, Servants of the Lord, providing that safe haven home there in Chicago area. And as you heard in that thank you note, they're, they're already doing the work. They're already in that home in Geneva, Illinois, and already encouraging missionaries who are coming home from the field and helping them to be refreshed, giving them needed counsel as missionaries, which is good. Uh, who does a pastor or a missionary go to when, when they need counsel? So uh, very, very good. And I, I saw them this week at Refresh. Very, very encouraged to see them. And Lord willing, we're going to have them come some, some weekend this year and fill pulpit again and be, be with us for a weekend. But they were, they were pretty excited about our support. And I remember Jeff was telling me, well, he said that they actually in the last month have had two in, in, individuals have to back out of support. Uh, somebody had passed away and... Uh, somebody was un, you know, un, un, unable to keep doing it. So I think right now they're at about 94%, something like that, of their support. But missionaries, the, the whole time as missionaries, the percent level just fluctuates, all, always up and down, and generally always under, under 100%. But 94 is pretty good, and they, uh, so we're able to help them. But... Um, I just want to give a few thoughts on the Refresh Conference. I want to thank you personally for sending me, for paying for my registration and the three nights at the hotel and up in Ankeny. What a blessing. This is the third year I've gone, and I just get so much out of it. It seems like more every time. And if there's a picture there, there's a picture I took from my seat in one of the sessions, but hundreds of people. And I think there was over 325 pastors, they said, from different churches. And a lot of people I know or am meeting, I think there are 28 different states rep represented in pastors. And a lot of people I went to school with, because that's, that's where I went to Bible college, right there. And just really neat. And some friends in ministry I've made, able to renew acquaintance and see how things are going. And just... Nine sermons over four days, four workshops, and just countless conversations with, with others in ministry. And for me, that really is, it just does my soul well, and it helps me. I'm not in this alone. Uh, I thought it was really interesting. It didn't matter what state the pastor was in. There were some from Iowa, of course, but... Connecticut, Nebraska, Colorado, Washington, Wisconsin, Michigan, Ohio, just all, all over the place. The, I, you know, we, we would ask about different things and in conversation. I want to say probably nine out of ten pastors I talked to 
are just about like me. They, they pastor a church around 30 to 40 people, not many young people at all, and just small. It's, I, I thought, well, this, maybe it's Iowa, maybe it's this rural you know, area. No, this is a national thing. Uh, churches this size. Yeah, there were some that were maybe a little bit bigger, but this you know, very, very common to have a church like this, even, even in this area, too. But that, that, that doesn't mean we should just be comfortable and say this is how it is. No, we need to continue to reach out to the community as, as we will this, this afternoon. But that, that encouraged me that, you know, we, there, there are other churches like us. And other pastors going through the same struggles and discouragements that, that I face as well. But the theme was soldier on, train, endure. And you know, just the theme of sticking with it, stay in ministry. Unless God has definitely closed the door, con- continue on in ministry. Don't just be discouraged and quit. And I thought that was so good. There... I don't know if you are aware, but right now, in, in our, well, I know for sure in our country, maybe worldwide, there are so many pastors, even right now, who are just so discouraged after COVID with the way their churches have responded to COVID and the, 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 the hatred and division within their churches and disagreements, and many people have not re- returned to church. A lot of pastors have quit. Not just pastoring, but they've, they've quit, or not just their church, but they've quit pastoring. They're, they're out of ministry, and a high percent. And I couldn't believe the statistic, uh, I think it was last year, in 2023, it was right around half of pastors that seriously considered resigning. That, that's nationwide. That, that's an amazing number. So <laughs> I'm thankful to, to be here and serving. I, I, did ha- I did spend an afternoon with, with my pastor growing up, Pastor Miles Grismore, who lives in Ankeny, and he's retired, he's 76, and actually this, this morning at his church in Ankeny, he is being called to be one of, the, he's the pastor of senior care in that church, and so him and his wife are serving, but had a good afternoon with him, and he was my pastor in Mason City for 25 years, and he told me, you know, I, I told him the theme of the conference, and he said he was asked at one time, being a pastor for 25 years at this church at Mason City, he was asked to give a talk on longevity in ministry. How, how do you stay somewhere for a long time? And he, he said when he got up to speak, he said, it's, it's real simple. Don't leave. <laughs> well, he had a few other things to say, but I, I thought that was good. Don't leave. <laughs> So you're stuck with me, all right? Um, but that, it was just good. And just many things about discipleship and outreach that I think in every sermon, every workshop, I was just, my heart was stirred with things that, well, I was convicted that I, I should probably be doing better or that we as a church could be doing better. And so... I think my goal is maybe next Sunday night to talk more about some of the things that, that I was encouraged by or challenged by. I'm going to try to put my thoughts together this, this week, but next Sunday night. But it, it was, you know, just thank you for sending me, and I, I really appreciate that.
and I think there was a picture there. Yeah, there it is. Yeah, there's Jeff Newman and myself in the middle and a friend in ministry, Steve Carper, who is in Nebraska as an associate. And he was actually somebody back in 2019 that we, we had his resume. He was looking to be a, a senior pastor. He's in Nebraska. And I, Steve and Kendra, his wife, they were both there. And he was telling me how he was wanting to get into the senior pastorate. And God closed all the doors in Nebraska, all the doors in Iowa. And they were discouraged back in 20. Well, I guess that would have been a couple years ago. And he gets a call from Connecticut. <laughs> and, you know, would you consider pastoring up here in New England? And, well, they live in Nebraska. All their families out here in the Midwest. But, yeah, we'll consider it. And one thing led to another, and they're out there serving. So uh, that, that was neat to see. Uh, but evangelism and outreach. I and mean, I'm thrilled that today we have this outreach. We're going to have this meal and then prepare meals to reach out to those just right around the church, probably within a mile or two of the church, to, sh- to share the love of God. And hopefully it can make a lasting impact. And I just think that I, I was challenged again this week. So many churches are shrinking because they tend to grow comfortable and they're more inward focused on comfort and they lose that outward focus. And I sure hope that we don't get there. So we need to continue to, to look out and how can we reach the community. We, we need to be a going church if, we're, if we want to be a growing church. We, we have to be going to our friends and our neighbors and the community. If we aren't willing to stretch ourselves and, and get out of our comfort zone and go, then this church will continue to shrink. We have to be willing to, to go. It's easier said than done, but we, we must do it. So today we have the, we're going to prepare meals, have uh, write some notes. So be thinking of some things you could put in. We have some blank cards to fill out, and and then I, I don't think it'll be more than an hour. Uh, I think Jenny was was in agreement with that. It'll probably be about an hour, roughly, and then we'll just I, I hope we can pair up and then just go and deliver these meals. So. That's, that's exciting. But let's, let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll dig into the Word. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you today for this time together. We thank you for, thank you for this week and the, the, uh, the challenge. And, the, and uh, Lord, just stirring my heart at this conference, refreshing me. But Lord, I, I, I just pray for our church as well. I pray you continue to help us to, to be one in Christ to have the unity and the love that we do have, but that we would be outward focused and we would seek to, to reach our community for Christ. There's so many people who need the Lord, who need a church like this that preaches the, tr- the truth. So, Lord, I just, we, we pray today for this outreach. We pray for the 11 households, some individuals, some families that will receive a meal and a card, and a visit. We just pray that you would prepare their hearts even now for the gift, and that they would be open to the message of the gospel, and maybe coming and visiting the church. 
And Lord, we pray today also for the ministry of the Word. We pray that you would bless this, this time right now in your Word as we look at Luke 20 and the critics that Christ had. And Lord, we know there are many in opposition, even, even today, to the cause of Christ. Help us to understand your will for us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So Luke 20. We'll be in 19 through 26 this morning. And I just, I, I love going through a book. And there's so much to profit from, so many different subjects to cover. And today we look at Christ's crafty critics. And when, when there's an enemy, when, when there is someone you hate, someone you do not like whatsoever, who you see to be an opponent... Some, someone you see to be a threat, you instinctively try to do everything you can to, to destroy that person, right? I mean, you, you try everything to, to take them down, to hurt them. And we see this in society. I mean, we, unless you're living under a rock, you, you notice the political scene. Of course, this is a presidential election year. And, you know, I'm sure you're all getting the political mail every day. <laughs> and that, for us, it just goes right in the garbage. <laughs> but uh, you, you see, the, the, there's the left, the Democrats, the right, the Republicans. And do they, do they get along? <laughs> Are they friends? No, absolutely not. There is this hatred. There's no unity. And... <laughs> You think right now, I mean, just for the sake of example, you think right now of the Democrats who, right now, it seems as if President Trump, former President Trump, will be the candidate for the, for the Republicans. And what are they doing to, you know, they're trying to do everything they can to take him out. They're trying everything to indict him, to discredit him, arrest him, convict him, imprison him, all these things. Even if it's legal or not, they, they're trying to do that. And they're not, you know, I think as time goes on, it will continue to grow worse. And, but, you know, it's not just the Democrats. The Republicans are doing the same sort of thing. And it's, uh, but we, we see this, the, the crafty critics, we see this hatred. No, I'm not comparing Trump to Christ. I, I'm absolutely not. Okay, what I'm trying to, my point here is, you see the hatred, you see the, the schemes, the deceptiveness, the, you know, all, all that's going on, the strategy. That's what I want you to see, because it's the same sort of feeling the religious leaders had toward Christ. They, want, they wanted to take him out. They wanted him to be discredited, the people to not hang on his every word, and you know, they ultimately wanted to kill him. They wanted to keep their power. So let's go ahead and read the passage, Luke 20, starting at verse 19. The scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on him at that very hour. For they perceived that he had told the, this parable against them, but they feared the people. So they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be sincere that they might catch him in something he said, so as to deliver him up to the authority and jurisdiction of the governor. So they asked him, Teacher, 
We know that you speak and teach rightly and show no partiality, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or not? But he perceived their craftiness and said to them, Show me a denarius. Whose likeness and inscription does it have? They said, Caesar's. He said to them, Then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they were not able, in the presence of the people, to catch him in what he said. But marveling at his answer, they became silent. So that's our text for today. And we, we are, of course, here in the last week of his earthly life. Remember, he's going to die on that Friday afternoon, the Passover festival. And when the, when the sacrificial lambs would die, he also would die as the Lamb of God. But this is probably around Tuesday or so of the week. And every day he's in the temple courtyard in Jerusalem, preaching, teaching, performing miracles. And the critics here, they, they want to destroy him. And they're, they're going full force. So the first thing we see today is their fury, their fury, their anger. And that's in verse 19. He had just given this parable. And you remember last week we talked about this in the preceding passage, how there were these tenants or these husbandmen that the owner of the vineyard left to, to manage the vineyard, and then he sent the servants to, to bring some grapes back to him. And they beat him up, didn't they send him away empty-handed, three servants, and then he sent his beloved son. You know, how did they respond to the son? They, they killed the son. And so, yeah, they, they murdered him. So... The conviction fell on these religious leaders. They, they knew Jesus was giving a parable, but he said, you know, they, they knew, hey, wait a minute. He's talking about us. We are these wicked tenants. We are the wicked husbandmen who want to destroy the beloved son. Now, they didn't really think he was the beloved son, but they wanted to destroy Christ. And so they were convicted. They were upset. And they had this power and influence amongst the people. Everybody looked up to the, the religious leaders as being holier than thou. And they didn't want to lose that influence. If everybody went to, in faith to Christ, I mean, they would lose their power. And so they, they sought to lay hands on him at that very hour. They, yeah, they perceived the parable was about them. But then we see their fear, point two. Also in that verse, it ends in... Verse 19 ends, they feared the people. They feared the people. They hated Christ. They wanted to destroy Christ and his ministry, but they feared the people. They, why? The people were following Christ. It was just a day or two earlier they had worshipped him at the triumphal entry as he rode on that, that donkey into Jerusalem. And I think the, the people still at this time, they, their hearts were still with Christ. And they, they thought he was the Messiah. And they were wondering, how was he going to set up his kingdom? They still thought it was going to happen right then. But the religious leaders are doing everything in their power to keep it from happening. And I mean, look over at, uh, back to 19, uh, ch chapter 19, verse 48, just back a little bit in the text. 
just probably the day before. But they did not find anything they could do, for all the people were hanging on his words. Christ was teaching, and teaching with power, and the people were hanging on his words. They were following him, hook, line, and sinker, and they just, they, they, were, they were following. And the religious leaders feared the people. If they were to arrest Christ, they would, you know, the people would turn on the religious leaders, and they would look terrible. And so they feared the people. They, they feared public, public opinion. Uh, but here their strategy would change, and we, see, we will see that in the coming chapters here. Their strategy will change, I think, after, after this event, and, and the, even the next passage with the scribes, or with the Sadducees. They, they will go from trying to discredit Christ to trying to sway the people and turn the people against Christ. That will be the new strategy after this. And by, you know, just two or three days later, by the end of the week, what are, what are the people crying out? Crucify him. The, they will succeed in changing public, public opinion. Now, point three, their formula, in verse 20. What's their strategy? Well, how do they maneuver here? How would they eliminate this threat of Christ? Well, it says, so they, they watched him and sent spies. Their, their goal is obvious. They, they want to destroy him, but they, you know, two things here. They watched him. Now, when, when you don't like somebody and you want them to, to be destroyed, now hopefully as Christians, we don't feel that way about anybody. But instinctively, sometimes we do. You watch a person like that. You, you are, are constantly watching to see if they will trip up at all. If there would be something where you can, you can expose them. And that's exactly what they're doing. They are closely watching him. But their strategy changes a little bit. They, they sent spies. They sent spies to kind of do their dirty work. It's not just, you know, previously in, in Luke and through the Gospels, the religious leaders themselves would ask questions. And sometimes we see that. We'll see that next passage with the Sadducees, they ask questions. But here, they are actually enlisting the help of these spies. And it's, they're, they're the Herodians, as we see in Matthew and Mark. These people who are loyal to Herod's dynasty. They, they're going to try to, what's it say about the spies? Verse 20, so they sent spies who would pretend to be sincere so that they might catch him in something he said so as to deliver him up to the authority and the jurisdiction of the governor. Here are these spies. They, they found people who would look the part, look like somebody who would blend in with the crowd, worshiping Christ. Hey, Blend in and then ask these difficult questions. Try to get him to trip up so we can arrest him so that the people will see he's a phony. <laughs> now, do you think that would fool Christ? <laughs> Absolutely not. He knows the hearts of all men. And so he, he would know, and we'll see in this passage, how amazingly accurate he was in his assessment. But here there. The, you know, spies, uh, 
they would pretend to be spiritual and ask these questions. Uh, in Matthew twenty-two fifteen, a parallel passage that said the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his words. And so, so we see that here. He, he is being plotted against. Here these spies are coming in to play a role. And it's, it's not going to work. Now, point four, their frustration. Their frustration, starting in verse 21. Here we see part of the strategy. These spies come in, and the first thing they do, you know, they, they don't begin with a difficult question. They don't begin with the, with the stumper right off the bat. They, they butter him up. They give him hollow or shallow praise. Look at what they say in 21. So they asked him, Teacher, we know that you speak and teach rightly and show no partiality, but truly teach the way of God. Boy, that sounds great. Until you realize who's saying it is, is these hired spies who are just hired to play the part. They, they know this is what Jesus wants to hear. Butter him up, and then you're going to sock it to him. <laughs> uh, so he, he sees right through him. Uh, go on there, 22. Is it, here they ask the question. Is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or not? They ask a question about one of our favorite things, taxes. <laughs> How many of you like taxes? No, I don't think anybody likes taxes. <laughs> Abigail has just started working. She just turned 16, but she's just got her first tax form, or for her first W-2s. And so we're having to explain to her what, what that means. And... I thought it was funny. On one of her forms, she had to pay one, or she paid one penny to the federal government. <laughs> that was funny. Anyway, here, should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? Well, they're trying to put him in a predicament here. If Christ was to say, yes, pay taxes to Caesar. Yes, you should do that. Well, <laughs> then he would be the Jewish people who were still hanging on his words, thinking he's the Messiah who's there to defeat Rome and Caesar, they would say, well, wait a minute. If you're going to defeat them and destroy Roman rule, why would we pay taxes to Caesar? And so that's part of their strategy to change the public opinion. And it would make it look like he is sympathetic to Rome. Like, yeah, let's pay taxes to him. There, at that time, there were these Jewish zealots, and I preached about this a while back, but the zealots were a religious extremist group in that day who, you know, going back to the silent period between the, the Old and New Testament, you have the Maccabean brothers, and they, but basically the zealots refused to pay taxes. That was their main thing. And they were extremists. We refused to pay taxes to Rome. And that was their, their main point. And they were terrorists. They would carry daggers in their clo cloaks. And they would stab people in the back. That's where we get that term. And they, would, they were extremists. And did you know Jesus chose a zealot to be a disciple? 
number 11 of the 12, Simon, I think it was Simon, the, 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 the zealot. It was, it, was, it was the 11th, was one of these people. So he's, so Simon the zealot, or the former zealot there was, he's, he's listening, he's right there. What will Christ say? Pay taxes or not? And he's probably thinking, say no, <laughs> say, say no, Jesus. You, you know that's right. But if he says, no, don't pay taxes to Caesar, then, then what would happen? Then, well, that's what they wanted as well. I mean, they, they wanted either way. They wanted him to say yes or no. If he said, don't pay taxes, well, then they would have grounds to say, well, you are a rebel against the Roman government, and we need to arrest you. I mean, they, they would have been more cruel than that. But... Yes or no, they either wanted to arrest him by him saying no, or with him saying yes, they wanted to turn the hearts of the people so later on they could, they could, they could arrest him. So you see the, the predicament that he's in. What does he do? Does he choose option A or option B? He creates an option C. And it's much better. They didn't see it coming. What does he say? Well, as he does so well, and as a rabbi, as a Jewish rabbi, rabbis would teach their, their, followers, their followers, not just by lecture, but they would teach by asking questions. That's what rabbis would do. They would ask questions, and the people would answer, and then they'd ask another question. And that's how Jesus would teach, you know, much of the time. Now, he did preach as well and teach, but here he's asked this question. And he asks them a question, because that's natural for him as a rabbi, as a teacher. And he says in verse 23, show me a denarius. Show me a denarius. Now, I think there's a picture of one here. There's a, here's a, here's a picture of a denarius. Now, a denarius is a coin that was equal to one day's wage. So this is a pretty valuable coin. And I, I don't know all the tax rules, but this is, this apparently was how they paid their taxes. And so he asks them, show me a denarius, whose, whose likeness and inscription does it have, he asks. Well, what's the answer? Caesar. I mean, you, you, can, you can even read it. Caesar Augustus, right here. And there, there it is. And he asks them, and they're probably wondering, where is he going with this? We want a yes or we want a no. Do you have to pay your taxes to Caesar? He says in verse 25, Then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Okay. And to God the things that are God's. So he creates this third answer. Yes, both. <laughs> Caesar deserves Taxes, yes. And God deserves tithes and offerings. You're to do both. It's not one or the other. It is both. The Simon the Zealot probably didn't like to hear that. But that's the answer. And they were stumped. They were silent. They didn't know what to, what to say. Point five, their failure. Their failure in verse 26. I see, well, here, let's read the verse. And they were not able in the presence of the people to catch him in what he said. 
But marveling at his answer, they became silent. Now, marveling stands out to, to me in that verse. They marveled. Here are these critics who'd want to destroy him with every ounce of their being. With his answer that they had not expected, they marveled. They were in astonishment. Wow. How did he come up with that? We can't, we can't argue with that. <laughs> That's the perfect answer. Uh, I think that shows there's a, a still, even at this point, there's still a, a seed of hope in their hearts. They, if they wanted, they could still believe. They, but it's not going to last very long because their hearts are so hard and they want to destroy Christ. But two failures I see here. They, they couldn't catch him. They couldn't catch him. That was what they wanted. So they failed in that. He was still uncaught. And at, at the end of the verse, they became silent. That's significant. Here are these religious leaders with the spies who were hired to stump Christ. They were silent. Everyone was silent. I'm sure the religious leaders were right there watching as well, how are these spies that we hired going to handle this? How are they going to catch Christ? Well, they failed. They, nobody could speak. They were speechless. That, that, to me, is amazing. How Christ just so easily asks this question and gives the precisely perfect answer. And that's what he does. And that, so they failed. Well... Here, as we think about this sermon, how, how do we apply this? I, I think there's, there's a primary application and then some secondary applications. But primarily, we see the opposition to Christ. We see these people, these critics and the spies that they hire, they are against Christ. They are the enemy. They want to destroy Christ. And... They think their way is best. Are, are you against Christ? Now, uh, you may be saying, well, I'm not against Christ. I mean, I'm at church here on a Sunday morning. Well, I'm thankful you're at church on a Sunday morning. But are, have you intentionally and specifically chosen to trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you put your faith in him for salvation? I hope today everyone here has. If you are just still in the middle or on the fence, so to speak, there is no middle ground. Either you are for Christ in faith, or you are against Christ. You are an enemy. You are like these religious leaders trying to destroy Christ. There's one or the other. Back in Luke 11, verse 23, Jesus said, Whoever is not with me is against me. If you're not with Christ in faith, you are against Christ. You are his enemy. You, you are his opponent. You, until you put your faith in Christ, you think your way is best for salvation. You, you don't think he's enough. And that's a very dangerous place to be. Because nobody knows how much time they have left. If you're against Christ when you draw your last breath, 
before the rapture occurs. I mean, there, there, there's no second chance. Now, if you live through the rapture, you can still put your faith in Christ in the tribulation, but it's a lot worse uh, environment to live through for sure. But trust the Lord. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. Become a Christian. Don't oppose Christ like these religious leaders. Now, secondarily, from that famous phrase, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. The first part, render to Caesar. Pay your taxes. Now, that's not a popular opinion, but we are to pay our taxes. We live in America. I'm pretty safe in saying that. We're all American citizens here, and we should... We should be good citizens. We have an unbelieving world. You have unbelievers in your life, whether it be your family or your neighbors, your coworkers, your classmates, whoever, who are watching you and seeing how you are a citizen. Are you respectful? Now, you may not agree, and I, if you're like me, you probably don't agree with most of what the political, uh, you know, stances are in they're, they're in government but you still have to be a good citizen obey when it doesn't contradict scripture be a good citizen pay your taxes obey the the law you know that, that's that's necessary there are some extremists even today that say don't pay your taxes well that's flat out wrong that's criminal don't do it pay your taxes be a good citizen in every respect that you can be be, be patriotic, but be sub- submissive as long as those laws do not contradict Scripture. And secondly, render to God the things that are God's. What does that mean? What do we render to God? Well, here is specifically talking about money in the passage. God has allowed us to steward or to manage a certain amount of money. Every one of us has a certain amount of money that we have available to us that God is allowing us to, to manage. It's not for us, it's for him. So, we, just as you would pay your taxes, you are, to, you are to give to God. And I am so thankful that, that you are a giving church. You, you are a strong giving church. And I almost feel like I don't even need to preach about giving because you give so well. But it is biblical to, to, to tithe, to give tithes and offerings, to give to, to the Lord. Um, we should give first. Give to the Lord first before you pay your bills, hoping that, well, I pay everything. Hopefully I have some money left at the end I can give to church. No, <laughs> You give to the Lord your first fruits. You start with your gift to God. You, you set out your 10% or more. And if you do that, I believe you're going to have enough money the rest of the month. Enough money to get through the month. Uh, give first, give cheerfully, as the Bible says. Give faithfully, sacrificially. The Lord loves a, a cheerful giver. Uh, but we're, we're to do all these things. And... It's my desire sometime in the next year or two to, to, to do a mini-series on money and stewardship. But, but that is the application here. 
is the second part of that phrase. Give to God the things that are God's. He is allowing you to take care of the money that's really all his. It's all from the Lord. Use it for his purposes. Now, I want to just share this. Talking with, with Dr. Jeff Newman this last week, he shared an example. We were talking about the new support that we're, we're giving them. And he said, <laughs> this just warmed my heart. He said that he has a, an elderly woman in a, in a nursing home, I forget what the city was, so, someplace in Iowa, who sends him $5, $5 a quarter. <laughs> you know, just, indi- just individually sends $5 a quarter. And you say, well, that's not very much. Well, he says, I've talked to her. That's, that's sacrificial for, for her. And so he says, he, he, he told me, anytime he's considering some use of the money that God has entrusted to him as a missionary, he thinks, he thinks about that lady and her $5 gift. Would she be okay with me buying this? Would she be okay with this choice? That convicts me. Would, you know, we, we ought to be asking a similar question. Would God be pleased with this choice of what I'm spending money on? Would God be pleased? So, don't, don't oppose Christ. Render to Caesar and render to God. Some very important things. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you today for the message of, the, of this passage. We thank you that Christ so perfectly destroyed his critics here and shot down their attempts to catch him. Lord, we, we thank you that your way is always right. I pray that everyone here today would not be an opponent, not be an enemy of Christ, but that each of us has put our faith in Christ and that we are walking with him. That we are Christians and living for God. Help us to be good citizens of America, to render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, to do our part, to play our role in America, to pray for our, our government, pray for their salvation, and they would govern in a biblical way. Help us also to render to God the things that are God's. We know you've entrusted to us financial resources that really don't belong to us in the first place. Help us to honor and glorify you in every decision we make, in every dollar that is spent. Help us to seek to further the kingdom. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much. We thank you for the Lord's Supper yet to come here as we, as we think about the sacrifice of Christ and the great price he paid. But Lord, we, we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.